Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with The Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I've got on the show today, Ben Ellis. Ben Ellis is the CFO at Abundant Venture Partners. He's done some exciting stuff. He's working on some cool stuff in healthcare, really passionate about healthcare, Would love, uh, wanted to have him on the show for a while. So I'm glad we're finally doing this. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, thanks for peeling off time to do this. And uh, I guess, you know, I love origin stories. I love to hear where people started off and where they started to, you know, make that turn and focus for health. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what led you to become the person you are today, Ben. Huh. Yeah, we'll end up getting the healthcare. Healthcare, I ended up sort of falling into by accident mm-hmm. uh, to start... I'll start way, way back and go sure, quickly. Sure. I was born, uh, you know, from the suburbs of Detroit. So Midwestern sort of, uh, upbringing and uh, always had niche for, uh, some, some more action. What else was going out there, uh, on out there? So I ended mm-hmm. up moving to New York City after undergrad, after studying finance and business. Um, ended up in consulting, wasn't getting enough finance in my diet. Um, finance ended up becoming the lens through which I see and understand business. And so went back to business school, stars seemed to align when I got into the University of Chicago. They almost didn't take me. I had to beg and plead to get off of a wait list. And and when they did, I then knew stars uh, had aligned, moved from New York City to Chicago with a little stint in Aspen as a whitewater rafting guide for a season before starting business school. But then after business school in Chicago, uh, worked in investment banking and private equity, fell into healthcare, and then fell in love with it. And then Mm -hmm. fast forward a decade or so later, have been working in various parts of uh, healthcare ever since. I love it. I love it. Um, no, great, great background, great leaps and jumps, uh, and, and very, you know, fortunate to be where you're at. And, and obviously you guys are investing in some interesting spaces and, and involved with some different companies that are, are doing some profound work in the field of health, well-being, insurance and abroad. But I guess when it comes to, you know, today, you know, what are some, some topics in health that really capture your fascination? I know that, that health is so broad, it can range from the the Peloton bike to meditation to CRISPR and stem cell stuff. But um, what, what has your most, most uh, fixation today and why? Right now, uh, what I've been sort of deeply passionate about and and, and have been focused on from a variety of angles is around um, all of the things that we can do to keep ourselves well and healthy Mm -hmm. that we haven't been doing before. Um, You know, I've sat in meetings with health systems, C-level executives who have point blank said, um, we love cancer. We love cancer. Yeah. And you start, um, you know, Stephen Levitt and Dubner Freakonomic style, everybody acts Mm -hmm. according to their own incentives. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, as many of us who have been in the industry for a while know, we have a system that has just straight up uh, not incentivized keeping people well. Right. So 
even starting, I, I joined a um, early stage software company that was focused on uh, helping manage quality programs. So originally mm-hmm. meaningful use, then PQRFs, and then MIPS. Mm-hmm. But ever since it came out and we saw the EHR adoption curve climb, I've been an, a, a rabid uh, fan cheering on the you know how our system can change in a way to to incentivize wellness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we know we're about a decade into it. Some people would say more, but at least from that EHR adoption meaningful use point, um, mm-hmm. it's taken longer than we've wanted. It's cost more. It's just happening ever more slowly, but we are making progress. And so anything that I can be doing and we can be doing to help the industry move forward and get there uh, has, uh, has, has been sort of lightning rod of passion for me. I love it. I love it. And, and uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, it's, 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 it's a fascinating time, right? So lots of different technology factors. You've got stuff that the CMS put out um, that is, you know, helping us move towards a more value-based model, right? So a lot of different societal and technology factors converging, lots of new emerging services that started, you know, just five or 10 years ago that are, that are coming to a head and, and creating enablers. What are, what are some other things going on in healthcare that you think are going to support us, you know, getting back to basics of, of, you know, a foundation of well-being, you know, a, a recentering on, on mind, body, spirit, us getting healthier, and then our hospital systems and, and payers, <laughs> health insurance companies getting behind, you know, supporting. I mean, how do you see these incentives aligning? Do you see any other factors or technology or services coming about that's ushering in this change? Just love to hear a little bit more on what you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, we see a, 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 an incredible amount of technology and service mm-hmm. offerings, some of which are focused on this, some of which are, mm-hmm. are focused on a lot of other things and creating out of a lot of noise, which is something I'd love for us to clean up and get a little bit sharper on. But, right. you know, maybe a few topics um, uh, around the question that you mentioned. One is uh, social services and the use of social services. Right. It was quoted to me, so somebody was, I, I have not validated yet, but order of magnitude, enough people have said it that, it, um, that I'm willing to say it here. You know, if we think about the aggregate medical spend and spend on social services in the U.S. as compared to other countries and places, um, Europe, for example, spends about two-thirds of their dollars on social services and about a third of their dollars on, on medical care, the things that where people come into the four walls of a, of a system and have something um, done to help them. Um, in the U.S., that's reversed. We're spending yeah. about two-thirds of our dollar on medical care and one-third of our dollars on social services. Mm-hmm. You know why? It's because we haven't had the incentives to do it. Um, but that's an area where much more effective and efficient use of, of uh, social services, I, I think, can help us uh, bend the cost curve in a really meaningful way. It's also been, and I've, I have seen various uh, stats on this, that somewhere between 60 and 80% of the things that affect our health are also things that happen outside of the four walls of the health system. So right. that further supports... Um, this notion that, you know, spending on social services can, you know, we can have massive ROI and end up having people 
much better off. The only losers are sort of those in the, the traditional fee-for-service system. Right. The final thing that I'll say there also is an area of passion is lifting the stigma around mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. Longer, bigger, deeper conversation, but the the story, <laughs> I think... Um, I think uh, all of us as humans, you know, struggle with a lot of the same, uh, you know, struggle with some fundamental things based on how we're wired, whether it's insecurity, fear, anxiety, depression, and to call a bright line, you know, and say this person is mentally ill and establish a stigma and this person is totally fine because they don't cross that threshold doesn't really make any sense to me. So we know there's lots of people out there doing wonderful things that are helping us all, I think, understand it and approach it in a really different, really positive way. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And there, there's so many different pieces to unpack on like what you were just mentioning as well. And I agree. I mean, the body of knowledge is coming about now that, you know, we have our DNA, we have our genetic code, but our zip codes, right, are more impactful than our genet- genetic code. Um, and, uh, almost by like 80%, and I don't you know, I don't, I don't have a specific site to stat, but, um, or to state, but, um, I, I guess, why do you think, uh, the big focus on social determinants of health or social factors or social services coming about? Why, why is this starting to be a focus? Um, is it because we've done the analysis as a, as a country, you know, the CMS is putting out, you know things that are going to help us move more towards value base and we've seen the disparity of of uh of the lopsided you know investment of healthcare versus social social services or why do you think this this body of knowledge and this this new reasoning this new centering back on i wouldn't say common sense but kind of like super sense right why why are we mentally here now as a society actually talking about and i think it's a good thing right but why are we you think yeah, I think it's because of economic incentives fundamentally for, for years and years and years in a fee-for-service system. We didn't have the incentives to help keep people well. Yeah, yeah, There's, uh, yeah. And, and in a lot of areas, for what it's worth, it, um, it, it's not, it doesn't create a lot of profits to help keep people well, like, uh, you know, the ninth spinal fusion surgery would or, you know, um, uh, expensive orthopedic procedures would. So I just think with, um, without pointing a finger of blame, I think a system was set up that was designed to encourage procedures and treatment and encourage sickness. And I think it's just the, the cost curve is unsustainable. Levitt Partners has quoted, I think it's the Medicare trust fund runs out in 2026, right. not 2086. It's not, you know, we can reverse this and, and go the right direction. There's, we are, we're staring, we are standing at a cliff yeah. right now. Um, and if we don't do something drastic quickly, um, it, there's going to be, you know, massive pain, uh, I think, in the economy. As Buffett yes. sort of famously said, healthcare is the tapeworm of the economy. And yes. we're seeing it. So I think that's been the main driver. And, because over the last 10 years or so, incentive models have changed. We're, um, we're now starting to see that evolution, but I think it's all fundamentally driven by an absolutely unsustainable cost curve. Right, right. And no, it's it's fascinating. And so, yeah, I agree. Yeah, the incentives that, you know are changing and that's helping out a ton. And I did see that come out from Lovett Partners as well. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the Warren Buffett quote as well. It's, it's pretty profound. Along those lines and converging that with 
um, your comment about social services as well. I'm wondering um, what you think, Ben, about, um, right? So the social side of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's hard to get a society, a person, anyone healthy if they don't have their basic needs met. There's these new mm-hmm. concepts as well. It's kind of controversial, right? To even talk about it, but universal basic income, like what would yeah. happen, could happen if you gave people just a straight 4000 to $2,000 a month or maybe even $500 a month so they don't have to worry about their food or, you know, some shelter. Any thoughts on that? Do you think that's a relevant topic or conversation when it comes to social determinants of health or, or as we look at the economy in new creative ways? Um, would you get leveraged that way or would you create a, just a, a, a society of like dependent people? Uh, I don't flip flop on this one. I'm just still trying to form my mental model on it, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a great question. And one of the sort of core questions, we know it can be a political lightning rod for <laughs> right. people. I, I fully, and I, I tend to try and look at the substance of the issues underneath it. And I don't right. go in with a bias. I think exactly what you mentioned are the two factors, right? If there was a, um, if there was a universal basic income, um, uh, if there was a if there was a known blend of sort of personal responsibility, uh, people who really want to be working and and um, and and are doing so, and and they're not able to right to have their needs met, yes, um, makes all the sense in the world. Um, there's also we we know examples where the opposite is true, right? And w- where where you again, purely from an economic standpoint, provide disincentive um, towards working. This reminds me of a macro um, a behavioral economics class yeah. I took at the University of Chicago. Right. So, you know, any system in my mind that is one side or the other, where it's, listen, there's assistance, but only if you're, you know, uh, doing things that are almost impossible for a lot of people to do, that's not going to work. If there's nothing in that system that just, um, where people can just say, listen, I, I could work minimum wage or something like that, but not that much different. So I'm just going to, you know, I have an economic incentive not to, that doesn't really work either. So in my mind, it's not necessarily black and white. I think there, uh, we can design a system that incorporates both of those concepts mm-hmm. into them um, and and works much more effectively than either one of them on their own. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I, I'm right there with you. And, and then probably, you know, breaking that down further of, of it, you know, potential subcomponents or, or how, you know, modern social services can be rethought for the U.S. For, in terms of food, food security, you know, shelter. And that's a whole topic in itself. We could probably do three or four episodes yes. on that alone, right, Ben? But no, this is cool. You know, I, I, I don't I don't have a lot of people, uh, you know, this week that are in front of me that I can geek out about this. So I, I really appreciate <laughs> the conversation. But um, it, but but yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I, I think there needs to be more discussions on it. This is why we have the show. This is why we, you know, we, we, we try and bring up these things because there are new out of box ways of thinking that that you know it can't be all in all the shoulders of the payers and providers right they're kind of like focusing on a lot of downstream stuff of the way that things have been structured so it does feel like there's some other societal maybe organizations or factors in economics that need to come into play and 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 government plays a big role in that but but maybe it doesn't need to anymore right you know there's there could be some more innovative 
services that out there that pop up. Um, I don't know. I'm just babbling here, yeah. but uh, it's it's well, it's interesting. Yeah. No, it's interesting. There's a friend of mine over at uh, University of Virginia Health System who's uh, had some good thoughts on this, on what roles, um, not only government, but whether it's corporations or organizing uh, people, uh, philanthropy, et cetera, to help move some of these things forward, which I think is, um, you know, a very good line of thinking that could help uh, materially contribute um, to the solution. And I don't know if you saw, I think it was ooh, six, somewhere in the last six, 12 months ago, St. Barnabas announced that they're, they're going to spend $160 million on housing units for highest acuity patients. Right. Um, right. Be- because it's, it's less cost, uh, it costs less to provide housing and be, a, be have the, have people be close to get their care than right. it does to have them uh, rolling into the system. Talk to a friend over at Providence, and I love the concept of this idea. They are thinking yes. of um, of turning their bed towers into you know, some form of housing. Now, two quick yeah. thoughts. One, I'm a big believer that the aggregate supply of hospital beds in the United States is going to go down precipitously as our yes. As, as the, um, as the industry changes. And also, you know, while I, I applaud St. Barnabas and Providence for thinking about things differently, I don't know exact, I think that probably fits for some people, some high acuity, uh, uh, consumers, but I also think it creates, you know, a whole host of questions. How many people can we do it for? Who, who gets it? So there's still some hairiness there, even though people are playing with a lot of these, you know, innovative models. Yeah, no, it, it's it's fascinating. I love that model as well, right? That I mean, I mean, you hit shelter. I mean, that's just a, a spreadsheet ac- exercise on a macro level. It just makes sense. Why would why would someone decide to do the opposite, right? But it, it's it's so crazy how sometimes we, we we just don't do that massive exercise. I, I guess it takes a, a lot of different dimensions, right, to to pull off and execute and decide on things like that. Um, but, uh, no, it's super fascinating, but I guess my, my, one of my last latter questions here is more obviously, as you know, like future focus, um, there are so many different things. So I know we talked a lot about social factors, engagement, um, you know, the phenomenon of incentives changing to be more value-based. So, but in comes all these other like fringe health technologies like CRISPR and genomics and, and stem stem cells and the the mindfulness movement and and this 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 new collective uh push to grow our consciousness so that can drive our health and so technology deep and wide but tell us your vision tell me your vision of the future what's the what's the optimistic vision of healthcare you see happening and what technology or societal things would be in place in that in that future yeah, you know, you've hit on a, a just a true topic of love and, uh, and passion for me around consciousness and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. In, um, I believe that in in order for anybody to change, whether that's stopping smoking, exercising more, mm-hmm. sleeping more, which is a great one. We used to we used to vilify, uh, you know, we used to heroize getting only yeah. a little bit of sleep because it means right. your engine's going more. Um, but ultimately I think it's the exact wrong approach, um, as some others have pointed out too, but I think in order to make any change in life like that, um, there has to be a number of stages that one has to go through. So the first is they have to have awareness of the issue. Uh, they have to accept that, uh, that 
at least to some degree, if not to a great degree, oftentimes that there are steps that one can take in order to change their own situation, which is pointing the finger inward instead of outward. Right. And then from there, there has to be a desire or ability to execute on changing. Mm-hmm. And then there has to be the, abs- the, the, the execution itself. And sometimes, as we know, there's very difficult factors. There's factors that make that difficult. Um, like somebody's in a food desert, uh, based what somebody's working life needs to be in order to support their family. So it's not totally clean. But in some cases, I don't want to oversimplify the solve for the system. It's clearly not, it's not this easy. Um, but I think identifying people who are um, ex- uh, accepting uh what what they want to uh what if they change will be helpful for their health and then um wanting to do something about it and successfully doing something about it i'd almost bifurcate the population to people who are really driven and motivated to do something by it or can right. be driven and motivated with incentives and those that aren't right um, and i'd almost figure uh, if, uh if we could figure out how to suss out who is willing motivated and uh, and, and able to make change versus those that aren't, uh, right. we, we can, I think, uh, design solutions a little bit differently. You, you bring up a good point too. And it's something I know we think about at Health Hero as well as like the, the dimension of like what drives people incentive wise, you know, is it rewards, is it recognition? And obviously then that comes into, well, personality comes a big play into a big play and how someone was, you know, their upbringing in terms of what motivates them. So some, some would prefer more of a pat on the back because the last time they got a pat on the back was probably a seventh grade, you know, perfect attendance score um, that they were called up on stage. But as an adult, you're not really getting recognized too much. Um, but uh, but some may be just, you know, incentivized by true dollars or, or incentives and uh, rewards, mm-hmm. right? And so it's a, there's a lot going on there, but I, I definitely think you're onto something. And then if that comes out to be true and, and all the societal you know, organizations and government agencies believe that's important, then then it becomes a matter of like IT and all the new digital IT systems and EHRs, you know, supporting this flow and, and adding this this data to, to, to the health story, right? I mean, um, I'm just thinking out loud with you here, but um, it, it's fascinating. And I like that bifurcation, the way of putting it in that way, because I think that's that's what's important to be needed. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the consciousness to support that, um, you know, it's happening. You know, you're starting to see a lot more focus on consciousness now, which is which is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and to your point, again, not to oversimplify it, but at the end of the day, we think about that person in seventh grade who got the attend- perfect attendance, and it was the last time they got they they got a pat on the back. Right. I believe fundamentally that uh, people people want people want a hug. People want yeah. to be told that that they're okay. And that things are going to be okay. Yeah. And and fundamentally, we uh, we we know we're starting to see some of the science around it. We were at the um, we did some work in sponsoring, and uh, one of our managing partners chaired the American Heart Association ball. Uh-huh. And the theme of that ball was love works. Um, and the explanation of it is um, having love in your life, love for oneself, which can ultimately be the hardest thing to do love for others, love for friends, etc. That's actually good for your, it's it's good for your physical, for your cardiovascular health. 
right. having that in your life. So right. um, how we get all of humanity there is yet it's, we probably don't have time for it on this podcast, but I think we actually know the solution. It's just um, there's there's some challenges to getting there. Oh my gosh, yeah, my I drive my wife crazy with this concept too. But you know, coming full circle to the opposite of love, right, which is fear, right, which is the premise of all, mm-hmm. all internal external battles. It's it's uh, how Disney makes you know almost trillions of dollars and what they mm-hmm. do. Right? They just tell mm-hmm. stories about love and fear, right, which is a is a core premise. The yin, the yang, border chaos, right. It's uh, but yeah, I I agree with you. I think health and well-being is all boiled down to, to to love and optimizing for love because if you can crowd out and just focus on love you have very minimal uh you know opportunities for fear um you know i love like you know jim carrey's gotten you know super woke these days but i love his i love his quotes about you know f- focus focus on love and his his job was to free everyone from concern and you know when you're when you're in a loving great mood you're laughing you have zero opportunity to have experience fear and that's where a lot of the mental illnesses and opportunities you know the 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 negative emotions and the negative illnesses and the mental illnesses are are really kind of like coded in that fear easier said than done right but um sorry i didn't mean to turn this into a psychology session but i'm just reflecting on what you're, you're mentioning here this this concept is so powerful right it's 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 never iterated enough and it's crazy how even through the day the you know little bits of fear can creep in and it does it can change everything your, your mindset right what's been so powerful to me is to recognize some of the fears that i have had that i thought were uniquely mine start when right. i started opening up and talking to other people about it i realized it's actually they're actually really common right which uh, in somewhat of an individualistic society or where we like to feel individualistic, it, right. it, it actually, you know, feeling like one of, one of many that, you know, of a fallible species was, um, was wildly helpful to me. The other mental exercise that I found really, really helpful is when, if I'm really triggered or upset or frustrated by something, I recognize there are other people who, if the exact same situation happened to them, exact same, exact same stimulus, exact same everything, mm-hmm. would feel completely different about it. So for me, that's a manifestation that we are not our thoughts and our feelings. Yeah. We, we experience our thoughts and our feelings. And then living in consciousness, we're able to figure out what we want to do with those thoughts and those feelings. So right. I, it, uh, it's riffing off of what you said, but it's, um, yeah. it's I, I think we have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the um what 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 could be the solves but i I recognize also it it is not easy to get there um for any individual consistently and um but it is possible which gives me lots of hope i I love it i love it no definitely i'm tempted to name this episode uh love innovations but i think that would be controversial (laughs) but um, but no but it's 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 super powerful it's something to not discuss enough and people you you need brave people that that understand health in different dimensions and from different industry viewpoints to talk about this stuff so solutions can be built around it so we can enable society to get there a lot better and just remind and nudge people right to do to do these things um, and get out of our own way, right? Everyone struggles, but uh, Ben. Um, well, so first of all, I wanted to say, you know, I don't. I wanted to be sensitive of your time here, so we'll have to have you back on the show. Probably go deeper on a couple of these topics, but 
I guess before we adjourn th this episode, um, our listeners would always probably love to, you know, engage with you and, and connect with you on social media. If, if you would like that to happen, what would be a good way to connect with you on social media, uh, et cetera? Yeah, I think uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place. I've been toying with it, but haven't had a super active Twitter feed or others. Sure. But link LinkedIn, I think, is is probably the best way. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ben, this was phenomenal having you on. It was refreshing for me. These are better than two or three cups of coffee for me. These these pump me up and jazz me up. <laughs> and uh, hopefully it was rewarding for you. And uh, But yeah, no, this this one's going to be a fun one. And um, But uh, Ben, thank you so much for being on this show. I really appreciate it. This was an absolute blast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank All you. right. Take care. Thanks.